You're listening to 99th episode, and here's another episode of that coming up right now. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, like, I, I decided I was out there today. It's like, I come across the right thing here. I'm not going to Yeah, sure. Definitely. Oh, All right. Man. So, uh, what have you been up to? You, you told me you've been playing Limbo? Yeah. So, um, for Christmas, once again, I guess a lot of things are going to stem from that. I, my son wanted his own Switch. He wanted a, a yellow Switch Lite specifically. So I, I got him a yellow Switch Lite and uh, had to order it online. For some reason, we got two. So I have my own Switch Lite now. So I was like, okay, this is cool. I have this now. I was kind of considering once we got him one, getting my own eventually. So that way it's like we just all had our own and could play freely. Because I, I haven't played the Switch a ton since we've had it. Uh, like gotten into any more in depth games because my wife and my son monopolize it basically, you know, mm-hmm. that, that is, that's fine. But having my own, like one of the things I was interested about being able to do with it is play, um, indie games that, you know, kind of have a different pace and a different tone and be able to, you know, play them on the go. And it's cool. Cause you could play in like, instead of having to like, I accomplish this much and I get to a save point then I could save it and turn the system off. When you want to stop playing, you can just put the system to sleep and then turn it right back on and keep playing. So, you know, oh, that cool. was one of the things I loved about the DS when I had one was the, those like, you know, folded open and closed, right? So you could play and if you wanted to stop playing, you just closed it. And you opened back up and it was just right there. Just, you know, save right where you were at, you know? Yeah. And that was great to be able to like take it to work and play on a break. You play for literally five minutes. You're not waiting for stuff to load up. You don't have to like save it and close it down. You just play it and, you know, close the screen when you were done. Basically same thing, aside from the screen doesn't close now. Sure. A while ago, Joshua Dysart, who uh, we both know from uh, writing Valiant Comics. Yeah. He had gotten a Switch and was tweeting about playing different games. And I remembered that, like, some of the games that he had played, just, like, visually, the image he shared, like, was, you know, had visually struck me and stuck with me. And so I I tweeted him. I was like, hey, what were those games you were talking about? You know, I should have wrote down the titles, but I didn't. And so he shared again. Um, Inside and Detention were two that he said that he really liked. And then there was another one that he said that was good but not, like, amazing. So I went on the Nintendo store and I looked up and inside was on sale for like six something. Cool. So I was like, okay, I'll get that. Detention, I don't think it was on sale, but there was a, a, a downloadable demo that you could play. So I downloaded the demo so I could check it out a little bit and kind of keep my eyes open for a future sale. And then I went to work and one of uh, the, the people that I work with is uh, very into video games. So I said, hey, have you heard of these games? And inside he went, oh. They're the people that made Limbo. That was the first game they made, and it's basically, you know, very similar style. Yeah. So uh, I went back on the Nintendo store, and Limbo was on sale for three-something. So I said, all right, that is, this is a, a no-brainer. So I picked up Limbo. I picked up Inside. I haven't played Inside yet, uh, but I'm a little more than halfway through Limbo, and it's just it's really fun. Uh, it's refreshing to play a game that's just simple and straightforward. Like it's just a like a side-scrolling platformer, and you're solving puzzles to get through the obstacles. Yeah, 
And what makes the game so great is not just the play, which is, you know, the, the play is fun. Um, and that's definitely something that's needed, but the, just the aesthetic of it. And it's a very simple aesthetic. Like, it's just a black and white game. But they use layers really well. They use, um, like, in using layers, they also use, um, like, blur. So, like, uh, when you're looking at, like, because the layer you're on is where your eyes should be set. So the, the layer that's closer to you often is blurred because your eyes shouldn't be focused on it. So it can be kind of distorting because, of course, like, we're in control of our eyes. And if we choose to look from here to there, like, our eyes should adjust to it. But the game is presenting it not clear, so that way we can't adjust to it. So, like, it, that's kind of cool because it really kind of creates a you-have-to-look-here sometimes, you know? Uh-huh. Light and dark is used a lot. Like, there's parts of the games that you go through that get really dark and you can't see really well. Lots of the traps will be fairly subtle. It's... Dying in the game is super fun because the animation of dying uh, depends on how you die. But, like, it's made me laugh out loud sometimes seeing how you die because you just, like... Um, I think one of the first ones that was really kind of cool was when you get to the first spider creature and you you walk up and you see these uh giant spider legs pop out of the edge of the screen that's all you see is, is the legs and when you get close one of them lifts up and if you get too close or stay there it darts at you and skewers you and you just are like skewered and then your head like flops back and your eyes close and you're dead yeah mm-hmm. and it was just like surprising and uh, it just it's it's funny to see the different ways that you can die and there's no I mean, maybe the game is one of those that keeps scoring, and at the end of the game, it's like, you died this many times. But there's no penalty for dying as you're playing. You die, it loads back up right where you left off, and you keep going. Um, and I also, like, I like that, that it's just, hey, just keep playing. Not, you know, you died, now you have a penalty of your setback extra. No, you just, like, you're right back where you were, and you got to figure out the puzzle. So you can just experiment and try, and there's no real fear of dying, because... You know, sometimes the the answer of how to get through isn't clear. Yeah. Because nothing is explaining to you how to play the game. You just come across something and are like, okay, what do I do with this? Yeah, I've played I played the demo of that, and I always wanted to go back to it. But I, I played Inside all of the way through, the, the sequel to that. And it was a really fun, interesting game. And it's really similar in that it's a, a side-scroller. It's really easy to die. And each level or screen feels like it's a puzzle that you have to solve uh-huh. of, of how do I get through this uh, this screen or this area, whatever it is. And visually, it's just awesome. Visually, it looks amazing. It's like you said, there's so many depths of layers and shadowing and um, all sorts of stuff like that. It is just uh, visually a great game. It also just develops into something that is really interesting and really unique. And anybody who's played it will know exactly what I mean, because most of the way through the game, when you're, you're near the end, it changes in an interesting way and into something that is just so bizarre and interesting. It's uh, it's a really, really fun, cool experience. That's awesome. I was I was going to try it last night. I got it all loaded up, and then I just, like, crashed. <laughs> sure. So I, I didn't get to it. I was like, okay, I, I'm going to get a taste of this so I can talk about it better tomorrow. But got all loaded up, and I was like, I don't have any energy left. And then it just crashed. But 
I did also try the long dark out a little bit yesterday. Oh, okay, yes. So I uh, I bought the long dark on the PlayStation uh, because it was like ten bucks cheaper than on the Switch. It was on sale for fifteen dollars on the Switch. It was on sale, but I think it was like twenty five dollars because it's newer for the Switch. Like they whatever ported it. So I only played it a little bit, but I, I listened to what you said, and I put it on survival mode uh, instead of doing the story mode to start with. I did it on the easiest difficulty, and then just, like, chose a place. Like, you I, you choose, like, a different place on the map, and, like, the kind of place you're trying to survive is going to be different, right? Yeah. Which one did you choose? I chose the, the town, the abandoned town. Okay, uh-huh. It's like, that sounds interesting. So I didn't play a ton, and I definitely haven't played enough that I feel like I know what the heck I'm doing yet. But, like, I found an empty house. I took a nap. <laughs> I collected scraps of stuff around. I failed to start a fire. And that's pretty much what I've done so far. I ate okay. some chips. Okay. <laughs> so, like, I've done that, but I haven't figured out how to start a fire yet. I haven't... Like, I found a hatchet, so I know, like, you find things, and you can use those things to break other things down. And then you use those resources to make things. But I haven't done enough to, like, figure out, like, how do you make a weapon to be able to hunt an animal? Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I tried to start... I, I was able to attempt to start a fire, but my first attempt was a failure. And then I couldn't attempt again. I think it's because I didn't have, like, kindling or something like that. Okay. Uh-huh. Probably. Yeah. So I kind of just getting started, but got a little bit of a taste for it. Um, and... I can definitely, like, one of the things you said to me is it's either the kind of game you're going to like or you're not going to like. I can definitely see that. Like, I think that I'll, I'll enjoy it. I don't think I'll regret getting it. Um, But it kind of reminds me of the first Sims game in a way where, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you did things in that game like designing the layout of your house. And you got, you know, fun furniture and stuff like that. And you're not doing that in the long dark. But essentially the first Sims game was about creating a balance of keeping your sim surviving right sure and that was I fun i never played it so i'm not oh. exactly sure wow how can you not know that like i thought everybody had to play the sims at some point that's basically what it was is like you had like with your character you had all the you know you had to make sure they ate you had to make sure they went to the bathroom you had to make sure they slept and if you didn't do those things your character would start going crazy um and like if you really didn't take care of them the next thing you know suddenly your character wets themselves they're getting emotionally distressed and it like you could actually kill your sim just by not taking care of them hmm. and then your house would be haunted so long dark is clearly a different game than that like uh but it's similar in that the what you're at least in the survival mode like what you're trying to do is just that simple like you have those gauges like how cold are you how you know how is your st- stomach you know, have you eaten enough? Have you drank enough? And have you slept? Like, the, there's those four gauges, right? Yeah. So that's basically what it is, is you're trying to keep those things balanced, and it's as simple as that. Like, everything else is just how how you keep those four things balanced. And it's, I would say, even more so, more so than balanced, it's about keeping them up, because mm-hmm. they all are constantly fading, and any one of them fading can kill you. You can die of thirst, of starvation, of cold... Uh, if you don't sleep enough, your condition will start to go down. So it's more of how do you continually keep all these things up? Or do you decide, you know, I can go out in the cold for a few hours and freeze for a little while and reduce, like, my my temperature because it will get me food 
that I can then use to uh, increase this other thing. So it's this kind of, it's uh, a mix of exploration and trade-offs because it's also part of the game is just exploring new areas and seeing what's there, what you can find and doing that. Yeah. Like one of the things I did was um, I broke up one pallet for scrap wood. uh, And I like that when you find something and you select it, it tells you how much time it will take you to do whatever to like harvest the materials mm-hmm. and how many calories you'll burn too. So like, you know, that's how basically feeding yourself properly is, is measured as calories. So you have to decide like, okay, do I want to take this much of a toll on my character to do this thing or not? And then when you go to sleep, like sleep raises one of your gauges, but it also tells you how many calories you're going to burn while you're sleeping. So basically, if you try to go to sleep, uh, this is what I'm assuming, if you try to go to sleep when your stomach is too empty, you're going to starve to death while you sleep. And mm-hmm. I, like, they, they just got all those details. And it's like even sleeping isn't just a, like, isn't just a net positive. I mean, well, it's maybe, maybe a net positive, but it's not only positive. Like, there's still a negative draw on your faculties. Yeah, you have to make sure that you're prepared to sleep. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting. So I, I dabbled in it a little bit. I don't know if... Um, I'll probably just kind of poke at it a little bit here and there for a while. But I, I know at some point I'll probably once I start to figure out how to actually do things, I'll end up getting hooked on that game for a while too. But uh, yeah, I definitely think it is something that I will enjoy. It took me a couple days of playing to figure out how to survive more than a couple days at a time. <laughs> uh, enjoying the indie games. Cool. Um, and it's, I feel like it's always hard to, oh, you know what? Two other indie games. And these are ones that like I've seen the name around for a while. And I, I texted you when I got them. Uh, Guacamelee. So I, I got Guacamelee 1 and 2 on the PlayStation because uh, they were on sale for pretty cheap. I played the first one just a little bit to get a feel for it. And it's it's uh, essentially a, like a side-scrolling like action game with a maybe like a, a hint of RPG elements. Like you're running around talking to people and stuff like that. Like I haven't gotten that, that deep into it yet. But it just has a very cool design and cool feel to it. Um, and I decided to finally take a shot at it. So basically now I have like these five new indie games to play and that's pretty cool. And it's, it's fun playing games that have a, a different feel than, you know, what you get from the very highly developed, uh, you know, mainstream games that may offer a lot more, but also all tend to have a very similar feel because of how developed they are. Yeah. Okay. I find that I tend to like those smaller games a lot more. Like uh, an indie game that cost me 10 or $20 that I play for a couple days rather than a big super release that costs $60 that I'm expected to play for like a month. I, I tend to like those a lot more. And I buy a lot more of those, I think, than I do the the big tentpole releases. You know, I, I buy maybe one quote-unquote big game a year. And other than that, I'm usually buying smaller indie games that are less taxing on my time yeah it, you know it's funny because like with the you know playstation at work or i'm sure xbox has a similar such store where you can buy games on sale all the time oh yeah yeah of course. i've gotten mm-hmm. plenty of those big releases for like less than the cost of indie games or for very cheap like um i'm playing the witcher 3 right now trying to get into it and hopefully i don't just completely lose it with getting these other games to take my attention 
I got it for like twelve bucks for the like the complete game of the year edition. You know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, that's that's pretty darn cheap. And it's funny that you could do that now. Like with a little bit of patience, um, you can get. I mean, even some of the the big hit releases, like within a year, if you're patient and watch sales, you can get, can get a game that was sixty bucks less than a year ago for twenty bucks. So yeah, it like it really changes the ability to get lots of these games. But then, like sometimes you get those, and just like you said, they they take a lot more attention. They're a lot more taxing, and those simpler, more approachable games are more fun. The first indie game that uh, really got a lot of play in my household was Stardew Valley. When we got a Switch, my my wife knew about that game from just like looking at what games were out there, so she wanted it, and she loved it. My son loved it, and I liked it a lot too. Like definitely not quite to the the level of their intensity, but also like I said, they kind of monopolized the Switch, so oh. <laughs> I, I I got a turn when uh, when they felt like it, basically. But, but yeah, so it's kind of cool because like with the Switch, we kind of started off our Switch life focusing more on indie games than anything else. Okay, cool. I've been playing Cyberpunk 2077 because... That sounds like a cool indie game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not quite an indie game. It's by the same people that made Witcher, though. So I think it's similar in some respects to that. It's um, It reminds me of Grand Theft Auto. To me, it's just like it's that style of game where there's a big city. You have different missions you can do. You can go to different different people to launch different missions, do different things, kind of level up your character and stuff. And um, it kind of started slow for me because there is so much in the game and so much to learn how to do that it was a little overwhelming at first because there's like a character progression system. And then there is a different classes of weapons and then there's a weapon upgrade system like a crafting system and then there's this whole different hacking system that is part of that and then just learning how all the different mission works and how you there are differences between side quests and main quests and all of this stuff it it was uh, a lot to figure out because each system feels like its own little sub game in a way mm-hmm. and I'm finally starting to kind of understand it and play it and enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah, I I know a couple other people who've been playing it that um, everybody that I actually know that's playing it has just spoken quite highly of it. It's hard to uh, know quite what the game is like because I still feel like I've just barely scratched the surface playing like I've probably played five or six hours, six or seven hours, something like that of the game so far. And it feels like the game kind of just started so to speak and like i'm just over the intro missions that launch things and just finally starting to play the main game but the missions seem to vary a lot from you know go do this thing but like i had a mission where i had to track down some cars that were run by an artificial intelligence and the artificial intelligence in the cars had gone rogue and they had all abandoned the taxi service for some reason like one of the cars was sad and, and suicidal and I had to talk it <laughs> off of the the ledge of a cliff before it like just drove off and killed itself. Uh, one was just really scared of the city and let me take it back as long as I didn't drive too fast. And if I started driving too fast, the car would freak out. <laughs> so it's like a really bizarre 
fun stuff like that going on. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of a an example of some of the more fun things that I found so far in the game. That's awesome. Yeah, the, everything I've heard about that game is there's just so much depth to do. Like one of the people I was talking to was saying that um they completely stopped doing the story mode and were just like kind of freely exploring and doing different things and to me that's a, a sign of a good open world game if you, there are time, you know, maybe not all the time, but it, like if there are times where you're just like, I'm not worried about the story right now. I just want to explore, and you feel compelled to do that. I think um, it's really easy to get into that exploring mode because you want to be a completionist and do every little thing, and that can have a negative effect on the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're doing it just because that's what you feel like doing, that's you know that that's when they're successful. I think. Yeah. Well, so far I really like it, and. I don't feel super compelled to do every side mission and quest. So I will, I, my approach to the game is do whatever I want to do at this point. If I want to do main story stuff, go do main story stuff. If I want to look up some side quest stuff, do side quest stuff. But I kind of, I realize there's so much of each that trying to be a completionist or just try to be, get through the story as soon as possible. Neither of those I won't have as much fun as if I just kind of go with whatever I feel like doing at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I watched a show over the last two or three days. I got a free trial to HBO Max, which is opened up a huge, huge number of shows at my disposal that I never had access to before because it's all the HBO stuff, a lot of DC stuff, and just tons and tons and tons of watching material. And so I, I've got two questions for you. What do you think makes a good sequel? And maybe this is rhetorical. You, you can answer if you want. <laughs> but you, you, like, you don't necessarily need to answer. And then the second question is, in how high of regard do you consider the original Watchmen comic book and i think that isn't rhetorical i think okay that that is a real question i assume your sequel question is in regards to the wonder woman movie no actually it's not okay it's not uh have you watched that i haven't watched it yet yeah i did um i guess yeah I, i can give my quick review which is that like it was kind of entertaining but kind of just a storytelling mess and almost to the point where the, the storytelling got in the way of the enjoyment, but it's still vaguely enjoyable from a wonder woman is swinging around and doing cool stuff point of view. Yeah. And, but that's kind of the only level to enjoy it on is, is what it seems like to me. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, the, another person that I so obviously a lot of people were you know ready to to trash the movie. I saw the first Wonder Woman with my cousin uh, in the theater, and we both really enjoyed it. I, I think the first Wonder Woman movie is probably my uh, my favorite of the you know the last batch of DC movies that have come out. Like I, DC movies have kind of turned me off on. I'm watching comic movies just like blanketedly, uh, where if a comic movie comes out, I'll at the very least eventually get it on like Redbox. Because mm-hmm. there's been enough that I'm just meh about that. Yeah. 
I just like, I know I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm the same way. I'm, my experience has been really, really similar. I used to just any comic book movie, I'll watch it. And yeah. now I'm like, there's a lot that I don't necessarily need to see. Yeah. And I think a lot of them, it's just, it's not my cup of tea, not, not what I'm looking for in a superhero movie as far as, you know, tone or whatever. So, I mean, to, to each their own, definitely. Like I know there's plenty of people who greatly enjoy the movies that I'm just kind of meh about, but like Wonder Woman, I, you know, plan to go into that with a positive attitude, but my cousin has that kind of attitude. Like he really enjoyed the first one with me and we were eager for this movie and he got HBO max to be able to watch it and was like, it was okay. So, yeah. you know, still not trashing it like most people would go out of their way to do, but you know, that also, like, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it anytime soon. So now I'm more interested in your, your sequel question, uh, because it wasn't about that. And that's what I would have guessed. So what, your question was, what do I look for in a sequel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I think that sequels sequels have the opportunity to be better than the first movie, especially if we're talking about something like superhero stuff, where the first movie gets bogged down so often in telling the origin story. Think of Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man, we've got an origin story over and over and over again, basically. And this last, uh, you know, reboot of Spider-Man with, uh, what's the actor's name? Is it Andrew Garfield or is that the last one? That's That's Tom Holland, right? Yeah, Yeah. Tom Holland. Yeah. See, I can't even keep up. I'm I'm not good with names, so you know that. Um, So the first movie with Tom Holland was the first one that didn't feel like we're just telling the same damn story about how he became Spider-Man again. You know, like you get that story so much. So I, I appreciated that because I don't think like we need to be told that story. Just, you know, that doesn't need to be the first movie again. But I think Spider-Man movies have the opportunity to um, to do more with the sequels because they don't have to like, okay, here here's where we are. You're not sitting in your place in Spider-Man's world, you know. But then oftentimes the first movie is really good because it has such a good story to tell. And then the second one can go anywhere, and it feels like often the mark gets missed, especially with like superhero movies. We know they're they're not being made to sell to the like the real fans of the comic book. They're being made to sell to the most people possible. So they're just trying to make a you know a blockbuster hit. So I it, like it's really easy, I think, with a superhero movie to just like completely whiff on making a movie that like that you or I might really enjoy in trying to make just another like blockbuster that's going to get the most people to you know buy tickets or rent the movie or whatever so you said something interesting which is feeds into where where I'm going with this you said that it has the opportunity to be better than the original now what happens when the original is one of the comic book series that is hailed as the greatest comic book series of all time. So we're, are we talking about Watchmen specifically? Here? We're talking about Watchmen specifically. Okay. Yes. So we're talking about the show. Is the show based on the, they did the, what is it called? Beyond Watchmen or whatever, like the. Oh, before Watchmen. Before Watchmen. Okay. So is the show based on that? Is the show taking place after the first comic series? Like, where does it fit in? The show is taking place in essentially the modern day right now. It takes place in 2019. 
assuming that the story of Watchmen from the comics happened in the 80s when it was portrayed. Okay. So it, it takes place about 35 years after Watchmen happened. Interesting. Yeah. So I think as far as what I think of Watchmen, I'll start there. I haven't read Watchmen completely since the first time I read it, which has now been like maybe 15 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Watchmen was kind of the book that got me to start opening my mind to reading comics. So like what happened with me? The first time I ever read comics, um, I was like just out of high school and I got interested in Kevin Smith movies. And then he wrote Green Arrow. He wrote Daredevil. Um, so I, I got those comics. I read them. I kind of got tired of comics, sold them on eBay. That was the first time I ever used eBay uh, and moved on and didn't read comics anymore. And I didn't want to read comics. Like, I, I, I didn't grow up reading comics. I had no interest in comics as a kid. Like, not that I didn't have interest in superheroes or characters or stuff like that, but I didn't like comic books. This is also the 90s, and I, you know, strongly still believe that uh, the way comics were made in the 90s wasn't the, the best. Not at all were not the best, but, like, uh, the really, really popular stuff, perhaps, which was the stuff I was exposed to. So I, I didn't read comics for a long time. My wife was the one that got me to read Watchmen. Because we were reading a ton of literature, and it was on Time Magazine's best novels of the 20th century with literature. Like, you know, it was the only comic book entry on this. Mm-hmm. So I finally, she's like, we should we should get this to read. I was like, fine, we'll get it. So I got it, I read it, I greatly enjoyed it, and that, that opened the door for me to read comics. Because I said, this is something with more to offer than just reading some su- you know superhero stories. Not that there's anything wrong with those. So that opened it up, and I but I still didn't want to read superheroes. But I read like I read Dark Knight because even though it's Batman, like I knew it was something different. That's how I got started reading Sandman. Is I wanted to read something, but I didn't want to read superhero stuff. And I really loved Sandman uh, after I started reading it. I, I gave that a shot because I knew a friend had read it. So th- that's kind of it. Opened the door. I read comics again for a while, and then I kind of stopped again. We moved to Maine, and then um, I started reading uh, Ninja Turtles and Valiant. Well, I guess I started back again with, like, some Batman and an X-Men a little bit. And then I found Ninja Turtles and Valiant and, you know, so it kind of spread out. But anyway, so, like, I people, I think, are all over the place with Watchmen. And, of course, I think people nowadays want to be... Everybody has to be so polarizing. Like, either it's the greatest or, or the worst, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there are people that want to, you know, crap on it because it, that's a at least a strong opinion and it gets attention. I think it's a great, you know, a a great work, but it's also been a very long time since I've read it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how compelled I feel to, to read it again. I I know that the last time I tried to read it, I got bogged down by the, the sections that were prose. Uh huh. Because it just like, it slowed down the the pace of moving through it. Which is kind of ironic because you came to Watchmen out of reading a lot of prose literature. Yeah, it's about, I think it's uh, more about the time you want to invest in something at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I, I don't often reread things. There's not a lot of things I've reread. Investing in rereading something is uh, kind of like a, a mindful choice for me. You know, some people are like, oh, every year I reread this series. I, I don't do that with very much at all. I want to a bit more uh, because I think that there's some things that I get a much higher value out of that, like re-experiencing that thing would be better than just finding new things. 
But like my mindset before was always like, there's always new things to try. Like, why would I want to read something again when I read it, when there's something I have not read that I can try? Mm -hmm. And now, you know, like with comics, for example, I'm less interested in continuing to explore new territories. So now like the kind of just, you know, my mind state of, do I want to read something again or not is very different than it used to be. Um, I do want to kind of re read some things and enjoy them. And honestly, if I try to, and I don't, eventually I'm going to start getting rid of all the books that I have. Cause why would I own, you know, a hardcover collection of a comic if I'm not going to read it again, then it's just something to sit on a shelf. I don't need that. So I, I'm, I'm in a sort of a transitional place with that, I guess, where I'm trying to, um, approach it a bit differently, but yeah. So, I mean, long story short, I, I think Watchmen is a, a, is a great piece of work, but it's like, it's been around for forever. So like, what do you do with it? You know, they, they did the before Watchmen series that, you know, definitely wasn't as heralded as Watchmen itself. And there's a lot of, you know, positive and negative reactions to it. I've heard good things about this TV show. Um, but I also know that it's, uh, it sounds like it's not just trying to throw the Watchmen on TV. It's trying to do something that is valuable on its own, too. And I think that that is what you should be aiming for when you're following up to something. If you're just trying to put more of the same material out there to make money off of it, it's going to be, you know, bland. It's going to be mediocre and stuck in the mud. Um, yeah, if, okay. If, yeah, and if you're trying to... If you want to make something that is going to be good on its own, like you have to have the guts to be different, to know that there are going to be people that are going to bitch just because it's not exactly what they wanted, you know, but you're not going to make something special if you don't try that. Interesting. Okay. Right. Well, so I was really interested in this show for a lot of the reasons that you said is I feel like any sequel to Watchmen has to have a purpose like when i started watching the show my thought was okay but what makes this worthy to actually be a sequel to watchmen because watchmen to me is about as good and final of a story as there can be about these characters like in my mind after watchmen there there is no more story because that story does what it's supposed to do so well, which is use these characters to tell a story about it. It's like the end result of superheroes. Like what here's, here's the final thing about superheroes is that these superheroes are all people that have their own issues that they're working with. And they use being a costumed adventure to work through these issues. So it's, it's kind of saying that, in real life, anybody that would go be a superhero isn't probably the most mentally healthy person to actually go do that. And I think that that's a lot of what that uh, that story is about. And then also, what would a world look like where there actually were superheroes in it or costumed adventurers? How would the world really react to something like that? And I feel like Watchmen did such a good job. I my thought was, well, we we definitely don't need more, right? We we definitely don't need more of that because Watchmen already did it perfectly. And so any sequel would need to have something else to it. Like it needs to make another point or examine something else that 
uh, grows and builds off of that idea in order to actually be worthwhile. Because if it's just, you know, hey, here they are back in action again, like it's misses the point and it fall it would fall flat to me because it's end up just not really mattering that much because it misses the whole point of Watchmen, which was what we can learn about heroes and our culture from this story and not just about, Hey, can the good guys save the day? You know, that's the kind of basic superhero story is can the good guys save the day from the bad guy? And that's kind of the least interesting thing about Watchmen is whether they can save the day or not, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's how I was going into the show was, was this idea that I thought, well, Watchmen seems like a book that there should never be a sequel to because it's already done what it aims to do as well as can be done. So what's the value in a sequel in that case? And I, I, it's, it's tough. I don't know how much to, to get into this because it, I don't want to like spoil anything for anyone who hasn't watched the show, but I, I want to just kind of talk about it in broad terms, which is that at, when I first started watching the show, I thought, Oh wow, they actually are doing something really different because the, the show starts like one of the opening. Well, it, it really, it starts with the, um, the massacre in, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, of Black Wall Street from the 1920s, when basically all the people of Tulsa used a kind of fake made-up story to start a riot in, uh, I think it was Greenwood, which was considered like the Black Wall Street because it was a very prosperous uh, center of commerce that was developed and, and grown by um, by black people. And it was essentially destroyed and massacred over a day or two because because of white people basically just not wanting to see black people succeed so it starts with that and it's like all of a sudden like okay now this is interesting and then the very next scene is a a traffic stop where you see a guy driving down the street and he gets pulled over by a a cop and the driver is white and the the cop is black and it's the situation is reversed of the usual circumstances where you know i i think it's a, a reality in this country that a routine traffic stop for young african-american men can be very dangerous and but it the roles are reversed where this this uh white person who's been pulled over realizes I'm, I'm in a lot of danger. So it all already there shows it's like throwing something on its head that is different from our uh, world and doing something really interesting. The show starts to really dive into this idea of um, like r- racial relations in, in America. And it, kind of throws some historical things on its head where certain things happen differently to alter that the that traditional race relations and and class relations um in america and it uh starts to really explore that in a really interesting way and i thought wow okay this is actually going to do that it's actually going to tell an interesting story 
that has some sort of meaning and importance to it and uh, is is worthwhile of being like a sequel to Watchmen because it's using that story to to make an interesting important point about our world and I thought okay like I'm, I'm on board for this 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 looks like it could really be something yeah and I think something like um, you're, you're doing a follow-up to Watchmen that's what you got to do like you're I, I, when we're talking about sequels like what what is the purpose of the sequel and that Watchmen's purpose wasn't to show you these characters so you fall in love with the characters yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of become a joke now that uh, if anybody idolizes Rorschach, they got some real problems, right? Yeah, like, that's not exactly. a character yeah. you should idolize. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the sequel to Watchmen isn't, let's see the further adventures of Rorschach, it's something different. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, if it's, a, you know, a sequel to, um, you know, a superhero movie, a sequel to the Ninja Turtles movie, uh, different sequels like that, you know, what was the purpose of the first movie? In a lot of those cases, the purpose is, hey, here's this character. You're watching this movie because of this character. So the sequel is, here's another story of the character. And for a sequel to be good in, in those senses, like that story has to be something that's that's interesting. I think a lot of times that there's a miss on that because, you know, the people producing the movies just want to make a movie that people come and spend money to see. And they're not worried about actually like growing the character in the storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think when it's done well, like there is growth to the character and you don't lose sight of like the, the details that make you want to, you know, to experience that character. So yeah, I mean like, you know, Wonder Woman, I haven't seen the new movie, but it sounds like they probably tried to make a blockbuster and kind of lost the heart of what was special in the first one. Yeah, I could see it happening with like uh, another one that I really enjoyed that was a character that I was less familiar with uh, on the Marvel side was Captain Marvel. Loved that movie. I really wanted more Captain Marvel in the uh, you know Avengers Endgame movie, and you kind of just got a little bit of her in that, which fit well with what what everything was. So I want more Captain Marvel, but like I really hope when they make a sequel to that movie that it doesn't lose um, you know lose what made that first one special. That, you know, it's, yeah. it's growing the character and not just some adventure that's being as flashy as possible. I think Marvel's sure. done a pretty good job with that for as much as people, uh, you know, like to pick apart, you know, like um, Thor Ragnarok or something like that. That was a good movie. That was very enjoyable. I really enjoyed the, you know, pulling uh, Planet Hulk into it, you know. So and ultimately, like no matter what they do, there's always going to be people that are going to complain, too. Yeah. Yeah. But well, so. We've we've started the 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 roller coaster up of my watching, <laughs> and I spent five hours watching this show. There's there's nine one hour episodes, and I even got my wife hooked on it because I thought, okay, this could really end up being like a super interesting show that actually you know has has some meaning and stuff. And I in the end was really really disappointed by the show because it seemed like it devolved into the good guys got to stop the bad guys and that's it and it it felt like the first half of the show was a different show and the second half of the show it just forgot all the stuff that it had set up that was so interesting about it and it just became about good guys got to stop the bad guys and that's all there is to it. 
and it was uh, I was I was really bummed out by the end of my watching, which I I know we don't usually like to talk about um, like things we don't like or or trash talk stuff, and but it's I'm trying to think about like why this I didn't it kind of fell flat for me and why I didn't like it. And I, I think it's because I expect more out of something called Watchmen. And the, the show was good, like is, is really well made. Like if it was just called like super adventurous time, like I would be say, yeah, man, like it was a really fun, interesting show. And it set up some interesting stuff, then turned into a cool, like uh heroes got a hero type of show. But it was because it it started with a, a whole lot of promise and then seemed to like forget about that along the way. That was it was surprising to me, just how it it, it switched like that. Because uh, and then it made me wonder like, do I expect too much out of out of my shows? Like, am I expecting too much to think that something called Watchmen should be like packed with importance and meaning? because the original was yeah i i think that um being honest with ourselves like it wasn't alan moore making this you know so like going into it and being like oh it's it should be this because this is what alan like alan moore is a creative genius right mm-hmm. something based on something he did is still not going to be him you know so even if it's good like it's still not going to be the same I would say that the probably a good way to look at it to get the best perspective of it is what you ended up with is probably what you should have expected going into anything like this. So the things that transcended that, that were above that, you should like look at those as like, okay, this is where they overreached. Um, what is the phrase you always say? Oh, it exceeds its mandate. Yeah, exceeds its mandate. So that's where it exceeded what it should have accomplished. So you set your your bar of expectation uh, or your bar of, you know, what, what you expect the execution to be at, at an appropriate level. You see that those things are reaching above and then you can see them more for what they positively contributed that it exceeded what it could have been. Mm-hmm. Everything else kind of comes back down to earth. But, hey, you know, th- these points were really great. And then you can appreciate those points and still say, like, eh, well, the series was just kind of what you would expect. But there are these certain aspects of it that were really great rather than seeing it as it started out so amazing and then just went downhill yeah i think that part of the issue is like after the first two episodes i felt like it felt like they were doing one show and then by the last three episodes that it was like nope we're doing a different show yeah i mean that's kind of how i felt watching the mandalorian i saw the first few episodes of season one i was like this is amazing and then i got to the middle of the season i was like what is this <laughs> Mm. this is the star wars that i don't care much about watching just sure kind of yeah um, but this is like dialed up to 11 because it starts out saying this show is going to be about race relations in america and vigilanteism and understanding deep wounds within the history of our nation <laughs> right like and uh, and then it turns into hey we have to stop the bad guy from doing the bad guy thing yeah and what it really might be is that the creators of the show got their shot in at the beginning and, you know, they were able to exceed maybe what they were expected to do with that. I don't know. Maybe. I, yeah. Obviously, like any time a show or a movie or anything is made, like whoever's the money behind it wants something out of it. And that's really what matters to them. So the creators 
are they're having to deliver on their their you know fi- their promises that have the financial impact. But you know, if they want to accomplish something more, sometimes they gotta sneak it in there. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know, know anything further about it, but that's what it sounds like to me. Is they wanted to make a point, and they were able to get that point in there, but then they still had to you know meet the expectations that were levied on them. I mean, look at Sandman. Sandman started off being bogged down by DC being like, yeah, you got to slip these characters in there some because this is a DC book, you know. So we, It was we, kind of the opposite in, in that case. And yeah. they started out bogged down, but then they was eventually they took the shackles off. And yeah, they were able to, to transcend even with meeting the expectations that limited. And then those limitations were removed. Um, mm-hmm. you know, another example has been like floating around in my head this whole time. Did you read um, Matt Fraction and David Aha's Hawkeye? No, I haven't. You should read that. Like, I I loved it. Um, and that's one of few things I have a hardcover collection of because I I regarded it highly. And that's one where I mean, Hawkeye wasn't a big major character. You know, I mean, he's an Avenger and stuff. Like, obviously, he's a character that was important. But you know, nobody gave a damn about Hawkeye in the movie and stuff like that. You know, like he's just a guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who says otherwise is either just a crazy Hawkeye fan or lying. That comic tapped into like it. You know, in comics, it's not like a sequel, but like most comics are coming off of something, so they're all sort of like sequels, right? So how do you make something special when it's a sequel and it's getting into the heart of the character? And that's what that comic did is got into, you know, character development with Clint Barton and Kate Bishop and, you know, made you love a dog. And, you know, it it did a lot of stuff differently. Uh, It it met its expectation, but then was able to exceed it. It's, you know, it's not like Marvel. I mean, I I get the sense it's not like Marvel had big expectations. I think most of the time when you see something really good come out of the big two, it's when they don't have expectations. So they're like, we don't care what you do with this character. Just make us a comic to put out so we can have X number of books out, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times that's where the good ones come from is when they just back off. Like, we don't care what you do with this character. And then they do something good and they go like, oh, well, we're going to take this back away from you and run with it. Because look at this great thing that we have now. And then it's just like (laughs) the the heart isn't there even when people like... Matt Fraction's run was followed up with Jeff Lemire, who I love, and I did not care for his Hawkeye because hmm. it was I I don't know like I, I I don't tend to love Jeff Lemire's work on either of the big two. Um, not that there's not merit in it, and I've read like I you know there is stuff that I've read that I've in, I've still enjoyed it, but I don't think it, it measures up to the level of his creator own stuff that like you just see his heart pour out of it. Yeah, that seems to be a common thread amongst almost all creators. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, they had this great thing with Hawkeye and you could see that they wanted to, to carry that on, but with somebody else. And, um, it just, it wasn't the same. You can't mm-hmm. force the magic to happen, you know? So, yeah. Anyways. Well, that's what I found with Watchmen is you, you can't force the magic to happen. That is the theme of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my, uh, <laughs> uh, bummer over the weekend and it the the thing that i think is frustrating is like it was a really good show it was really well done really interesting like the plot was very intricate mysterious well done and and all that like in a vacuum it was really great like i would say oh man yeah that was a really really well done really good show it's just that because of the name watchmen I expected more 
And then when it seemed like it was going to, to have more starting out, I set my expectations higher because of that, because it, it started out saying, yes, we're going to do something worthy of the name of Watchmen. And yeah. then it kind of seemed to pull that rug out from under me. That's, yeah. I think, why I was so so bummed about it because I was like, I don't know, like I don't think we, I don't think a sequel to Watchmen needs to exist. I don't think there's anything else to say with Watchmen. And then they're like, well, actually, there is, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and so that's so I was like, okay, like I'm here for it. And then they said, ah, eh, just kidding. <laughs> I think your first point of it has the name Watchmen is the one where that's a slippery slope where we decide things should be a certain thing. And I mean, before Watchmen already existed, I, I didn't read any of it. I don't know. If nah, you me did, neither. But I also know that it did not meet the level of Watchmen. So you should have gone into this knowing the Watchmen name doesn't mean this is that book that Alan Moore made. It just is using the, you know, the, the world. Yeah. So like that on on that note, I think you you sold yourself on this expectation and like when we do that to ourselves, we're setting ourselves up for for it not meeting our expectations and we should really probably expect otherwise. Um I guess but your so. second point with how it started out, that's a valid point. Like it started out delivering on this thing and then didn't continue to deliver. Yeah. Like if it had started out being what it became which is just kind of a hero adventure with a really interesting intricate plot that plays up some history that is deep within the watchmen mythos and uh, involves some characters that we we know and like from the original watchmen but without you know doing much more i would have been like okay this is what it is sounds good let's just watch it and enjoy it it's just that it it pulled a bait and switch on me i feel yeah. like if the trajectory was flipped if it started off like it ended and ended like it started off you'd probably feel very different about it all oh yeah mm-hmm. but you expect like you get this starting point you expect it to raise from there not lower yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah because all the stuff that it, it established that seemed like it was going to be really interesting meaningful commentary and exploration it just kind of was like, uh, all that stuff doesn't matter that much. It's actually, this is this other thing is what matters. And, <laughs> um, yeah. And there's not many things that I would feel this way about. Like I'm thinking about it. It's like Watchmen and Sandman, I think are the two things where I feel like the original work is full and meaningful and complete. And any attempt at doing a sequel has to be incredibly mindful of that. Yeah. I mean, Sandman, they started the Sandman universe books. I read a little bit of those. They were fine. They're not what Sandman was, you know, mm. like they're, they're in that world. They're different creators. And like the little bit I enjoyed, cause I, I didn't stick with reading them, but I, you know, I might go back sometime. It was enjoyable. Like if you love that world, you know, it's a world to, you know, it's cool to be able to explore it some more, but you definitely cannot have the expectation with, Sandman universe that it's going to be the level of what Neil Gaiman did just sure. not going to yeah. happen so if you choose to enjoy that it's just like it's um, you know just like it's a, a, a light layer of addition you know it's not going to have that meat um, yeah. whereas something like uh, so like I love Ninja Turtles right like you love G.I. Joe like that'd be similar 
you love G.I. Joe, but you sure as hell don't expect a G.I. Joe movie to be something Good. as impactful as G.I. Joe might have once been for you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, your hope is just that it's decent, so that way you can enjoy seeing the characters. So a decent G.I. Joe movie to you would be great. Um, mm-hmm. But you also go into it knowing it's probably going to be mediocre, and you're hoping to you know, mediocre drags your great down to good. You know, so you say like, I enjoyed that. But you go into it with that expectation. Like, I'm going to take it for what it is. The mm-hmm. last two Ninja Turtle movies, I just said, hmm, I'm going to enjoy what's there to enjoy. They weren't the greatest. But, I, you know, I, I enjoyed being able to go see the Ninja Turtles on the big screen. And, you know, there were asked, there were some moments in those movies that I did really enjoy. There was some stuff I thought they, they really missed on, but I didn't let that bother me. Those were just like, oh, well, that is what it is. You know, move on. And kind of seek to enjoy what there is to enjoy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, properties like Sandman, Watchmen, um, I'm sure we could think of plenty of others that um, like accomplish much more, were very impactful. You you know, you don't want... Um, I'm trying to think of another example here. Um, like, I'm looking at my shelf, and I don't see too many other things like that where I, I really feel that way as strongly. Because... For whatever reason. So know, here, here I, I'm trying to think of an example, and here's one that I think will suffice, at least, that we've talked about a little bit. Um, Transmetropolitan. Um, you know, you you want to read through that whole series. I've dabbled in it a little bit. Um, you read that book, and there's the thing that makes it special to, you know, anybody who likes it is some deeper stuff. Like, it, it's zany and crazy, but what makes it good is um, kind of the commentary that it makes. Um, yeah. And the reason for me that is kind of like is um, it's like the heart of what Hunter S. Thompson's writing was and but like kind of put in comic book form with a lot of craziness. So I'm like, I already got the like a deeper level of the commentary out of this from reading Hunter S. Thompson's works. So this is kind of like, mm, you know, not not bad. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but like I, I kind of already got something a little bit deeper, you know. I see what you mean. Yeah. So that sounds kind of similar to to my experience with this Watchmen and yeah. Watchmen show in in a way because you've you've read the more meaningful thing, you know, quote unquote more meaningful. Yeah. Thing. But like so, you and you could the... you could take either thing, like either Hunter Thompson's work or you could take uh, Transmetropolitan, which I think like. For somebody who, you know, I, I think it, it can stand on its own. Like, I, you know, I don't think everybody has to wait it like I do by any means. Take either one of those things and then say, okay, we're going to make a TV series about this. And then it turns into, like, a crazy adventure show. It's just using the property and it's not the same thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like Watchmen did. You know, yeah. started with, like, okay, this is Watchmen. And you, you started off, you actually got that glimmer of this is going to be Watchmen. And then it turned into an adventure show with the yeah. characters and you know it's like if you would have seen fear and loathing in las vegas i could probably make this point better but you failed to do your homework that time <laughs> yeah, that's right but like you know eventually you'll watch that movie and then imagine if they turn that movie into a tv show and every week it was just another zany piece of an adventure it would lose the the commentary that was being made in that you know okay yeah i think i can i can see that and the, yeah yeah, makes sense. So I think my point is, why did you waste your time watching Watchmen instead of watching Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Uh. <laughs> you would have saved so much time, too. Yeah, I don't know if that's on HBO, and I have free HBO for 30 days, so I got to use it. You know, it's really funny. Like, you, you mentioned to me that you got a free trial. I was like, oh, maybe I should do a free trial. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I don't have the enthusiasm to see the Wonder Woman movie. Like, I'll see it eventually. Um, I, I liked Gal... Uh, Godot, and I liked the first movie, so it's like I'll watch it eventually. 
with tempered expectations. Uh, the Watchmen show, like, I've heard the high points, I've heard the low points. I don't really feel compelled to watch it. And I don't think there's anything else I really feel compelled to go get it for. So, kind of like, mm, yeah. I don't know. Not, not going to worry about it right now. I'd rather, I got to finish watching The Last Dance. I think I got an episode left of that. I'd rather finish watching The Mandalorian. Uh, I'm a couple episodes into season two of that. Um, I want to watch Cobra Kai. There's a handful of other shows I want to watch. My wife is enjoying watching um, The Crown, and I've been like bouncing in and out of that with her. I really like that show. I didn't stick with every episode because my wife binges a little too heavy for me sometimes. Um, and like I just want to play a video game or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even then, like that show's good enough that I've been bouncing in and out of it. I can sit down and watch a random episode, and I'm cool. You know, like can still enjoy it. So yeah, there's like there's so many other, th- and that's where you know going back to the beginning of of our conversation today, and my son's Legos. Too much of a good thing disrupts your ability to enjoy things. And like, if I went and got a free trial of, of HBO Max, all that would mean is I would feel pressured to utilize that and wouldn't spend the time watching these other things that I'm already enjoying at a high level. It would disrupt yeah, it. That so, makes sense. So go sell your Legos. That is the theme of today's story. <laughs> all right. All right. Sounds good. All right, Paul. Well, I think let's uh, wrap this up with, with that, huh? I thought I just did. I just, just dropped the mic right there. Well, yeah, but I'm I'm picking up the mic to say thank you for for coming and tip your waitress and uh, drive safely. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Find more episodes wherever you found this one, and uh, we will talk to you again later. Later.